Hello and welcome to All Three Points, a new football podcast looking at football from all three points. Those three points playing, those are the player, the match official and the commentator. And to do that, we have Stuart Lovell, the former Australian internationalist from Sydney, long career with Reading, Hebs, Livingston and Queen of the South. Played over 500 senior matches, scoring almost 100 goals, Scottish Cup finalist and a League Cup winner with Livingston. Our match official... James B, who spent a decade as a FIFA assistant referee, including doing games like Brazil against Spain and France against Russia. He's been to Qatar for the Qatar Stars League game Al Saad versus Al Shamal back in 2010, the year that Qatar were awarded the World Cup tournament away from football. He has worked with architects on various football stadiums, including Hamden, Celtic Park and Easter Road. I'm Paul Mitchell. Football commentator, rugby commentator, and commentating on anything that people will pay me to do. I'm delighted to be in the company of James and Stuart. We will make all our three points, and we've got together to talk about the World Cup. So I'm going to start looking at the World Cup. Stuart, there's always something special, that build-up to the World Cup. You just know something special is about to, about to come. I mean, other than the Olympics, it's arguably the biggest sporting event that we experience. And it's, of course, and I think any time you have something that happens every four years, you have that feeling of excitement when when it's fast approaching as it is now. Um, I mean, you know, for, for me as a, as a football lover, it's the most important um, sporting event. Even when I was a kid, all the way through my teens, when I turned professional, and, and now I still have that sense of anticipation and excitement. So... Yeah, is there anything bigger than World Cup? For me, no. This is this is as big as it gets. Yeah, I'm with you on that, James. There is just that build-up as well. I mean, some things you lose from being a kid because you grow up and become an adult. But I think the World Cup's got that ability to take you back to that place where you thought, "Great, it's going to be so much football on the telly." No, you're absolutely right, Paul. And um, I can't believe it's only—I think it's just over three weeks away. Um, it's as Stuart said. It's the biggest. I think it's bigger than the Olympics. I think it's the biggest sporting event in the world. It's always something I look forward to. I've kind of lost, fallen in love and lost love with football over the years. But the World Cup's always the, the tournament. That and the Champions League always always brings me back. And as you said, um, early memories from being a kid watching my, my first World Cup was the the seventy eight World Cup, and I think I can still remember squads and players. From back then, in fact, my knowledge of that is probably better than some of the current players these days. But no, really looking forward to it. Which makes me feel just a little bit older than you, because I can vaguely remember 1974. But I would point out that I was only five, but I had an early obsession with football. Of course, that was in West Germany. Stuart, what's your first World Cup memories? Uh, like James, 1978. You guys won't like it much, but um, I can still picture Kubias scoring against Scotland with that magnificent free kick. It's not to rub your noses in it. It's more the skill, to be honest. Um, even now, I can count on one hand how many free kicks I've seen guys hit with the outside of their right foot and bend it round the wall. So I'm talking about appreciation of skill that you just don't see very often. And I remember even as a, so I would have been a six-year-old kid at the time, I was like, you, you know, I've got to get out in the garden and practice that. I just thought it was extraordinary. Um, and it was um, it was a, a tournament that felt a very long way away being in in South America in in Argentina, um, but I I just loved it. I, I loved the fact that Scotland 
were uh, a very strong footballing nation back then. And, and <laughs> bless him, Ali McLeod actually seemed to think there was a chance of them winning. Um, you know, God, those days feel like a long time ago. But it was an amazing tournament. It was kind of where my love for Dutch football kicked in. Um, and uh, seeing, I think it was Ari Hahn scored a 35-yarder, which everyone felt was more like 65 yards. And Mario Kempes became uh, a legend. Um, and, and there's something special about the home nation winning the World Cup, which happens probably more than you would think it would. But um, yeah, the, the 78 World Cup left an indelible mark on me. And, um, and that was, yeah, that was really, I would say that was where my love for football started. And the World Cup does have that ability, James, doesn't it? I mean, it just to bring people together and bring people to the sport. I mean, the the idea of Stuart, you know, going out into the garden, practicing the free kicks, obviously better than us because he went on to play professionally. But I mean, we were inspired in similar ways. Absolutely, um, as, as Stuart said. In fact, I think I'm slightly older than you two. I know you're the you're the stats man, Paul, but I think I'm slightly older. Despite that, I do not remember anything of the 74 World Cup. I think I would be about six or seven then. I do remember vaguely my dad sticking me in front of a TV screen, probably black and white in those days, to show me the, the trophy, the 74 trophy, but I don't remember a thing. 78 was amazing. It's the ticker tape as well. And as Stuart said, it was a, it was a country that was far, far away. You couldn't point to it on a map until around that time. And there'll be people who feel that about um, Qatar now. I'd imagine some youngsters... Um, if asked to point it on a map, wouldn't be able to do it, but they certainly will be able to do it in the next few weeks. And you're right, it's a tournament that does bring uh, everyone together. Uh, and we've got 32 countries to, to look forward to coming together in the next three weeks as well. Let, let's talk about Qatar, because it's not been a popular choice of venue. I think we've got to say that. Um, the thing that most annoyed me about them winning it was the switch to the winter from the summer. I think everybody knew it was never going to be played. But we're talking... FIFA politics. We're talking the fact that, you know, migrant workers have been exploited to build these these stadiums. That makes it quite a difficult thing for many people to, to appreciate the World Cup, knowing some of the grubby background. But you could argue as well there was grubby background <laughs> to Russia in 2018. Um, sometimes the people's game is not treated particularly well at the highest level. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I... It's a difficult one to kind of, um, you know, to, to to argue strongly in favour of Qatar because of what we know about the human rights issues. Uh, I tend to be a glass half full person and I hope that there will be good things that come out of this. People talk about legacy. Um, I actually do agree with the principle of FIFA trying to grow the game because, um, you know, it's it's the most popular sport around the globe. And I think it's important that every continent gets the opportunity to feel part of that tournament. Um, when you look back at some of the um, countries from from certain parts of the world, going back to um, you know the '74 and '78 World Cup, and we kind of laughed when we saw African teams. I forget who it was. It might have been Zaire. Zaire yeah. Remember the free kick where yeah. one of them, <laughs> when the referee blew the whistle and the guy just ran out of the wall and leathered it up the pitch, and you kind of. <laughs> You, you, you had a little chuckle to yourself to think, ah, oh, you know, pat them on the head, you know, letting these guys have a go in the World Cup. And, and of course, how African football has grown and grown and grown. And, and I am pretty confident in, in our lifetime that an African nation 
uh, I think at some point is going to win the World Cup. I really, I really hope that that happens. I think it would be massively important, and and I think it's coming. Um, you know, because of, we've had obviously dominance from from Europe and uh, South America uh, in this tournament, but I think it would be amazing if an African nation could could win it. In terms of um, the, of, of Qatar, I think that uh, I'm not. I don't think it was necessarily inevitable that it had to move to the winter because of the fact that they've, they've been building indoor stadia and an air conditioning. So I still don't think that that was um, a decision that had to be made if you were playing outdoors. <laughs> I'm not sure there was yeah. ever a time that you could play the tournament in Qatar and feel that feel comfortable with, with the, with the climate. Um, but you know, what's done is done. We've got an unusual um, situation where the tournament is going to be run in the middle of the season, which feels a bit weird. But I, I always say to people, well, let's embrace it and see how it works out. Let's, you know, because one of the things that I always am concerned about from a player perspective is um, when you get to the tournament in June and July, you know, some players, particularly ones who have played an awful lot of games, are knackered. That they, they, they are they are at the end of their, you know, end of their tether and they've played too much football and, and, and they're past their peak. I don't think any player can turn around and say, I'm I'm lethargic, I'm tired, I haven't got anything left in the tank. Um, so I see it as being a positive in that regard, and I hope that it will help the very, very best players um, achieve their optimum level, because if that's the case, then we're in for a fantastic tournament. Yeah, it's going to be tremendous. Just before we move away to talk about our favourite World Cups, because I think that's something that, that we're really going to enjoy. You've got to trust the Aussies, Stuart, and your countrymen have done us proud in the last few days. They've produced a video that if people haven't seen, please go to Twitter. We'll tweet it on our All Three Points Twitter account. Basically, it's a, it's a veiled dig at the host, but it sends all the right messages, some of which you've covered there. Inclusivity, growing the game, let's leave a legacy, let's be practical. And I think it, it's done in that quintessential Australian manner that I don't think, I think everybody's embracing. I think it's been terrific. Well, I will say, Paul, I was very proud um, to see the content. This has been very carefully thought out because they have effectively put Qatar and the and the rulers of Qatar in a position where you know it's like a bargaining chip to say, "Listen, you got the tournament. We know why you got the tournament, but you know, let's make sure some good comes out of this." Uh, you know, I scribbled down some notes about the statement. Um, 16 players, incidentally, from the Socceroos um, read a sentence or two each through, uh, I think it was a three-minute uh, video, it's, you know, talking about establishing a migrant resource centre, which, which, again, when you consider how many uh, migrants have, um, it's been reported in The Guardian that, you know, 6,500 migrant workers from India, Pakistan, Nepal, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka had died since Qatar won the rights to host the tournament in 2010. If that is accurate, it's staggering. It's absolutely staggering. And it's only right that it is brought home for people to, you know, take a moment to consider that. As I say, if those if those figures and, and happen to think that The Guardian is a very reputable broadsheet. So it's a it's a very strong message. Um you know, the, the Socceroo spoke about effective remedy for those denied their rights, which is all about trade unions. They mentioned the PFA in Australia. Obviously, you know, I used to work with the Players Union in, in Scotland for, for 10 years, so big on player rights. 
And and I would argue the biggest one, which I think is which is um, a message that we should all be, um, you know, arguing strongly for is the de- decriminalization of same sex relationships. It's interesting that Qatar have, have have stated on the record that no one will be arrested during the World Cup. <laughs> you, you know, you could choke on the irony, uh, and and I think that um, I'm very very proud of the Socceroos. I'm really proud of the guys and um you know and the pfa in australia uh to support this message and get it out and and it's no great surprise to me that they're leading the world in this um just before the big tournament starts because um let's be honest they're not going to be competitive in the tournament um and and maybe maybe it's uh but but australia is a fantastic sporting nation very powerful in other sports not so much in in football but i think it was I, I, I'm, yeah, I really admire the fact that they took the lead on this because there are going to be. I've noticed that I think that half of the European captains have said that they're going to be wearing armbands, which is against the FIFA code and all this type of thing. But you know, the Socceroos have set the bar this week, which I'm, I'm really pleased about. Yeah, it was absolutely terrific. See, James, you've had the advantage. You've been to Qatar. What what are people going to expect when they get there in terms of, you know, climate? Obviously, the facilities have been developed, so we're expecting them to be first class. So, no, it is interesting, and, and exactly what Stuart said there just now. I'm 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 similar in that I'm a class half full kind of guy as well. So I do believe that it's right that FIFA are trying to grow the game as they did with the USA, and I remember people laughing when the USA got the World Cup as well, and we see what, what difference that has made. So I, I agree that it needed to be moved to the Middle East. You cannot ignore uh, some of the controversy that's been around it. As you said, the six-week disruption to many domestic leagues, the corruption or alleged corruption uh, in the lead-up to the, the award. There's the human rights aspect, and there's also the conditions, the, the temperatures, etc., which obviously have meant the, the tournaments in the winter. I was there in 2010, March 2010, and I think it was October, some months later, that they announced that Russia and Qatar had got the, the World Cups 2014-2018. They announced it later that year. When we arrived in March and we saw all these posters for um, Qatar World Cup 2022, we actually asked them what it was for because we thought it must be some kind of tiddlywinks World Cup or athletics World Cup. But no, they assured us it was the real FIFA football World Cup and I remember we had a little, it's almost like Stuart said we had a little snigger to ourselves and we patted them on the back and we said look good luck with that, I hope it works out but they, they kind of laughed back at us it was almost like no we will get this it's in the bag so it was quite interesting that kind of attitude so it was no surprise six months later or so when, when, when FIFA made that announcement. It's, it's a strange country. When we were there in March, a beautiful country, but strange in many ways. When we were there in March, it was 40, 40 odd degrees. The game had to kick off at 10 o'clock at night so that the temperatures could plummet into the high 30s and things like that. So I can absolutely see why they've had to make it in, in November. I'm just wondering, you know, in sort of 20, 30 years' time, you know, kids sort of 8, 9, 10, 11 might be their first World Cup. Will, will they speak of Qatar 2022 in the same way that we speak about our favourite World Cup? So, gents, that's where I'm going to go next. We talked about the first World Cup, we remember, but what is your favourite World Cup? You know, which one? If somebody said to you, look, 
tell me what is the seminal World Cup for you, Stuart? What where does your mind go? Mm, that's difficult. I'm kind of torn between Spain '82 and Mexico '86. I don't know why. I just kind of feel like I still have this feeling of nostalgia about these tournaments. But there was, you know, when you're younger, you you just you look forward to the World Cup like like nothing you can ever imagine. So I had this, you know, um, this huge excitement about the tournament and. Um, yeah, the, the I thought there was some amazing football played in um, Spain in 1982. I loved the Northern Ireland story. Um, you know, Norman Whiteside being the, the the youngest player ever to play in the World Cup. I don't I don't know if that's been surpassed. I, I think it's still a record now, is it more or less? Um, when he was 17, playing for Northern Ireland, and um, and Northern Ireland beating Spain um, with that goal by. I think it was Jerry Armstrong, um, set up by Billy Hamilton, and Billy Bingham became a legend. Um, and I loved, I love that uh, story. I, I love the controversy of um, uh, the German goalkeeper Schumacher oh. when he wiped out Patrick Battiston with, with. <laughs> I mean, it's still when you think about what we talk about now, James, and you laugh about this from an, an official's perspective. But I'm not even sure whether Schumacher got booked for something that was um worthy of a prison sentence on a football pitch um and 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 the strangest thing about that particular incident was he went on to become his best man at the wedding <laughs> this was uh, Schumacher became Patrick Battiston's best man at the wedding I still haven't quite got my head around that one um but I I've never ever wanted a team to lose like I wanted Germany to lose in the night it was like whatever happens Italy must win the World Cup final. And I'm not a religious person, but I may have prayed for Italy to win the World Cup. Um, I'm still not a religious person, so I cheated really. But anyway, I got what I wanted. You know, Italy won in in great style. Um, Paolo Rossi, of course, you know, ended up being the uh, the tournament top goal scorer. And it was an amazing tournament. Um, I think the, the best individual display in a tournament and and if you guys can beat this well good luck no one has dominated a world cup like diego maradona in 1986 no one and i still feel that that was when he was at his absolute peak and watching maradona was just poetry in motion um a guy who carried a country on his back and won the world cup pretty much by himself um so I guess now I'd have to say that 86 maybe just shades 82 for me because of Diego Maradona in his pomp. Yeah, he, he was something else. I, I'm going to tell you, my favourite World Cup is Italian 90. I just thought there was something about Italian 90. I was at that age where I was driving. I was able to, you know, so for the Scotland-Sweden game, I remember I always watched the games with my dad, but he had a bowling match that night. It was a Wednesday night, I think. So I went to my mate's house to watch it. And it's just these things that stick that stick with you. You know, the joy when Scotland go one up. Mo Johnson makes it two from the spot. And of course, Sweden score. And you're left with that very Scottish thing of a nervous last five minutes. Uh, that coming out of the back of the Costa Rica game, which is again very Scottish. We, we anticipate the hype and everything. That was the easy game. 
and of course we blow it. But there was just something about you know Toto Scalacci was was amazing. Um, the stadiums looked exotic and great, you know, in Genoa and places like that. I, I think it was falling on Maradona, obviously with the Italian connection. There was just something wonderful about the tournament. But it is a little bit of the rose tinted glasses. There was fifty two games in that World Cup. It averaged two point two goals per game. So it wasn't a goal fest. There was sixteen red cards in in that. In that World Cup, you know, it was also interestingly or not the first World Cup to be broadcast in HD. Not in my house, I can tell you, but it was <laughs> it, it was around the world. But there's just something that I've got that the, the nostalgia. I think you're know, saying Maradona, Napoli, the Italian connection, Italy, Argentina. It wasn't necessarily the best football, but to me, it holds it holds the best memories. And anytime you know I flick onto something with Italian ninety, it 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 just takes me back. James, what about yourself? Do you know this? I've just had to rip up my notes because both of you guys have covered exactly what I was thinking. And I think this, as you said, there's something significant about the fact that we were probably in those formative years, these, um, dare I say, pubescent years where things, when you're, you're, you're caught up in emotional things, they, they get hardwired into your brain. So you remember them easier now than things that happened yesterday in some ways so 78 for me and I'm not, I've not forgotten that Stuart mentioned Kubiasi's free kick against Scotland and what I'm going to say is I'm sure we'll get lots of opportunities to get our own back on Stuart and mention Australia uh, and the performances in previous tournaments and obviously this one coming up as well I'm not going to I'm not going to forget that mm-hmm. it was interesting you mentioned the, the Schumacher Battistone incident in the 82 as well which I loved I loved uh, Spain 82 what an amazing tournament that game, on that match, we had a Scottish uh, match official, the, um, a very famous referee from Scotland called Bob Valentine, who was on the line uh, at that match and clearly missed the incident. Um, he was also he was also involved in a very controversial game in that tournament uh, where Germany and Austria played out a 1-0 win for Germany in order to knock Algeria out. I don't know if you remember that, but Bob Valentine was involved in that as well. But you're absolutely right. 86, I was going to mention, it's remembered, that whole tournament in Mexico is remembered for Maradona. Uh, Not only the the way that he imposed himself on the tournament, won the trophy basically for Argentina, but of course scored that amazing goal in the Azteca Stadium against England, not to mention the hand of gold as well. The Hand of God, rather. The Italia 90 I loved, um, and I could go on and on. I, I, I love them all. I was lucky enough to be at USA 94. I went to about six matches in the USA, which was great. And I was, funnily enough, in Italy when Italy won the World Cup in 2006 in Germany. Four years later, I found myself in Spain when Spain won the World Cup in South Africa. And I think my daughter thought that everywhere we went on holiday, that country won the World Cup. So we stayed in Scotland in 2014 to see if it would work, but it didn't. <laughs> Gents, we've That's the other thing, I suppose, is any, any, any tournament involved in Scotland. And of course, we were lucky enough to get the 74, 78, 82, 86 and 90 World Cups under our belts. And any tournament involved in Scotland is also deep in our hearts and firmly in our memories. It doesn't happen very often, does it? It certainly doesn't. Gents, I'm going to leave you with my memories of USA 94. First World Cup in my flat, my first flat, and I was settling down to watch the game. And 
I got a phone call um, to say that my wife had been involved in a car accident. Well, my then girlfriend. Uh, the steering wheel had come off her car and she'd driven into a hedge, understandably, when you don't have um, a steering wheel. So ever, ever prepared, uh, stuck a video in the cassette, plopped it on, pressed the buttons, obviously rushed as quickly as I could to find, you know, to, to find my good lady. Um, she was spent quite a few hours at the Royal Infirmary. I had to try and avoid the five live radio coverage that was playing because I was going home to watch it. Uh, all, all ended happily. She was unhurt, got her home to her mum and dad and uh, got back to my flat, sat down, rewound the tape, got ready and I'd managed to tape Channel 4 rather than the BBC or ITV uh, and I got Pavarotti in concert rather than the World Cup final. It was a moment I will never forget. <laughs> but for now, that is... Well, I, no, no, don't, don't spoil it for me now, please. That is it from All Three Points, a new football podcast looking at football from all three points. Those are the player, the match official and the commentator. We'll be back in about a week's time with more World Cup memories and looking forward to Qatar 2022. But for Stuart Lovell, James B and myself, Paul Mitchell, thank you for listening. Bye for now. <laughs>